Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to a special edition of the Asia Tech Podcast. We have Travis Erridge today, a co-founder of TMX Global. Travis, how are you doing? Thanks for having me, Michael. I'm going good. It's been hot in Bali. It's going well. It's yeah. a bit warm in here, isn't yeah, it? Exactly. But I mean, it's yeah. 34 degrees outside in, in Bangkok, so yeah, being warm, is, is, it is what it is. Mm. Before we get into the main part of this conversation, can we get a little bit of your background for some content? Yeah, sure. So um, I come actually from a property construction background, actually, and ended up in supply chain randomly. Uh, past 2010, so I was part of the, uh, the, the the group of people that got put out on the street through the GFC in, in 2008 and 2009. I wonder what that feels like. I was at Citigroup at the time. Oh, there go you ahead. go, you know, well, uh, and uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a fairly significant moment in my life, to yeah. be honest, and, and if anything, radicalised me into this, um, making sure I would never put in that situation again. So for me, um, in 2010, took the opportunity to start my own business awesome. with a with a co-founder, Milan, who um, the two of us used to work together and, and with the aim of servicing clients, um, mainly in Australia at the time, um, uh, and working through their industrial property needs. Did you have a lot of experience with doing stuff internationally or was most of the work you were doing at the beginning in Australia, in your old job? Yeah, so look, in my first job, I did a lot of traveling for work and I worked with ExxonMobil actually and traveled around the region. Um, but uh, no, mainly in Australia in the, in the more formative years. So international wasn't a thing. Yeah. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about technology. As a yeah. matter of fact, I want to spend a lot of time talking about technology. When you started TMX, was it part of the overall plan to morph into a tech company, or was it something that just happened over time naturally? Uh, look, I, I don't think I don't think we ever had any sort of envisioned where we were going. We were trying to stay in the moment uh, back in 2010, um, and and really between 2010 and 2014, we really just grew a core consulting business. Um, right. But we soon learned, and it was about 2014, that we worked out that we had to have a point of difference as a business and, and just having consulting skill wasn't going to be enough. Right. Uh, we grew and, and, and developed, diversified our skills in terms of the people that were within the business. And we needed something to draw that together for the benefit of our clients. And so we started to invest really between 2014 and 2016 in technology, intellectual property, ways of doing business, how we could do things. Uh, and now as you, as we're about to launch the metaverse in, in, uh, in Thailand and, and Asia, we really started to look at collaboration tools that we could work together with. So you've just hit on two things I really wanted to focus yeah. on. Can you define for us what you think the metaverse is, but also how you think it helps in this collaborative space? You know, one of the things we're gonna talk about is no one succeeds alone, Yeah. right? And I really believe that great businesses are client-driven businesses not idea-driven businesses per se. Yeah. So how does how do you define the metaverse and then how does it help you in the collaboration? Well, I think the, the point you just touched on there is exactly the, the point of the business, which is the client does drive what we become. Don't they? Um, and we've we've been lucky enough to have our first ever client still with us 12 years on, our second client still with us really? 12 years on. Yeah, and so I think, and, and they've been able to collaborate and work together with us, which enabled us to look at what are the problems we're trying to solve uh, and, and it became very clear that with a heavy data part to our business, so a lot of information in supply chain is driven by data, it's driven by sales data, it's driven by inventory data. How do we actually collaborate and work together was one of our biggest challenges that we faced. And, and uh, so there's two parts to it. One part was the complexity of the work that we were doing 
and then trying to bring that into simplicity so we could actually sell it to leadership and management. Can I just jump right. in here for a second? Yeah. Because we're going to talk about this too. Yeah. This idea that something is really simple is simple in the back end as well. Yeah. It's upside down. Yeah. To create simplicity on the front end, particularly for your clients, it has to be almost ridiculously complex in the back end for them to make it simple for them, yeah? Absolutely. Sorry, and, and look, we, we had um, data scientists. We had, uh, at one point, we had nuclear physicists within the business. They could tell you the complexity of what was going on, but that wasn't how we won the work or, or developed the work. We had to get to a board level, to a management level, and explain what the benefit of that was and right. what it actually looked like. Right. And I think, ultimately, in 2019... 2020, at the end of 1920, we started to really go into the investment of what we needed to do. It was then hypercharged by the fact that COVID hit um, at the start of 2020, March. Um, and what we used to do was actually, we do this scientific piece of work. We get on planes with clients and go and show them examples of what we were talking about. Right. We couldn't do that for two years. So we went heavily, heavily into how do we actually create within the metaverse an opportunity for people to be able to collaborate, think about, develop, and actually in real time see what they used to see by traveling around the world. So let's dig a little bit deeper here. Sure. Because this is really important. How do you take this bleeding edge or leading edge technology, right? Yeah. Like the metaverse and create these really immersive experiences yeah. so that the clients can actually feel what the output's going to be when they're done. Does that make sense? But also, we talked about simplicity, yeah. while also maintaining this ease of use for them, right? So they're not like, I don't want to go in there and do that thing, but like, how can I make myself more efficient by using this tech? Yeah, well, look, I think um, we're very lucky. We, we had a head designer called Tom Yang, who, who's here with us um, in Thailand, who he did a lot of designs for us. And a lot of the challenges that we faced was how do we actually present that to someone that doesn't understand, you know, scaling, being able to think about things but how do we do it on a simplistic nature that we use all that really complex data and turn it into visual tools that people can actually see what they're going to do. So the complexity of what Tom and the team have put together is taking that really complex data and information, turning it into you and I sitting here and talking to each other. But the other that, that really was the design part of what we did but then the second part we talked about in, in Melbourne, there's a, there's a big shopping centre called Chadston Shopping Centre. And what I, what I sort of asked for the team to think about was how do we create the Chadston Shopping Centre of supply chain, right? So how do, and what I meant by that is how can we have a single place where everyone can go to, where our suppliers, where our, our transport providers, where our designs, uh, conceptual designs, you could go into a shopping mall and touch and feel every one of those. So you could go and touch the uh, uh, automation consult uh, designer number one, automation number two. So what you're saying is, just so I understand, instead of waiting for somebody else to build this, yeah. you went out and built your own. Absolutely. So then your clients could come in not only virtually, in other words, if one of your clients was in Europe or one of them was in South America, one of them was in North America, instead of waiting for that, you built something in Melbourne or in, in your hometown, yeah? yeah? And said, don't worry about it, come here, and we'll show you what this looks like physically, but then also digitally, Absolutely. so you can see it. I wanna make the distinction, sorry, between a digital twin yeah. and the metaverse, because I think people don't understand this. A digital twin is a, twin is a thing in time, yeah. But the metaverse is just this ongoing living thing. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, digital twin's been around for ages. Yep. So we're not inventing digital twin in nope. any way, shape or form. What we're actually taking is the concept of a point in time 
piece and actually turning it into a real-time collaboration tool. Yep. And, and the point of the metaverse and what that allows us to do is that we can expand quickly and actually scenario test inside that space. So in the future, uh, and we're working heavily on this, how do we start to simulate scenarios? So it is a simulation tool right. where we can actually get what, what you will see, touch and feel in two to three years time, you can actually touch and feel today. Right, I wanna talk about collaboration because if you yeah. believe that collaboration is really important, everybody has to be involved. Yes. And I wanna give you an example from my own life. I've got two really good ones, but let's start with the first one. Yeah. When I was in college, I sorted mail as one of my summer jobs yeah. for the US Postal Service. And I literally went into what was then a, a mail warehouse and just had all these stands that were organized kind of haphazardly. And in my mind, I had to arrange them by zip code and literally move them around to make the sorting, essentially the picking and the packing of the mail easier. Yes. And the gentleman with whom I were working, these were not, these, the, these guys were not so, as good as I was at doing that, that type of role. Mm -hmm. But they also need access to these tools. Yes. So if you really want to collaborate, you have to make it as simple for those guys and gals as it was for, as it is for everybody else, as it is for the technologists. How do you do that? Yeah, well, it, it's, um, yeah, it is, it is, the, the metaverse itself does allow for that simplicity of touch and feel. Because it's like it. being there. Yeah, it's absolutely. Because I can literally, the reason why I brought this up, because it's like going, can we do this thing? Can we move that around? Yeah. You can show them why it works and why it doesn't work. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and and look, in A1 drawings and, and PDFs. I, I look at them, I don't years, understand no them. No one understood them. You then went to the 3D and people still didn't understand them. Actually immersing yourself in the space. Yeah. But actually then having the, the database that the team have built, which is actually photographic, real-time pictures of what they're about to touch yep. and feel. You can actually, you know, we've designed elements within there where you can actually pick boxes up, you can put them on conveyors, see what happens. We can start to determine when we're going to have clashes. We can start to train people into their future uh, facilities. And I think what's really important to understand is a lot of these complex automated facilities, they can take anywhere between, uh, you know, 24 to 48 months to develop, right, from concept to completion. Right. And so... And, and some of those have been over a billion dollars worth of investment. I right? mean, at so least, for, right? for clients. So yeah. how do you convince them that this is the right element? Well, that's what I was going right? to ask you. Yeah. Ask you. It's like, if I'm dropping a billion dollars on a building that I'm going to use for the next 20 years, let's, I don't know how yeah. long a distribution center lasts. Or 10 or 20, right? yeah. Right? It better be right. That's right. It better be right. And so that inertia for, for change or making decisions and, and look... Australia has led the world with some of these things because of the cost of labour in Australia and the availability of labour, right? right. So, so you've had to innovate, you've had to change. What we've seen since COVID is the consumers forever change. People are buying things off their phones, off their computers. You've got infrastructure in, within supply chain that's miles behind where it needs to be. And so the, the need to innovate and change is never been more apparent in supply chain. But how do you do that? when I'm trying to convince you to spend a billion dollars of your money exactly. on something you don't know if it's going to work. So right. the, the point of the metaverse is I can create a virtual environment, I can create scenarios, and I can simulate what's about to happen. Can you talk to me a little bit about the experiences you've had actually with people that you're trying to get buy-in from? Yeah. I'm super curious about this, right? Because we can sit here and talk about it, we can theorize about it, but at some point someone's going to be in the room with you and think, I get it. Yeah. What is that like? What are those conversations like with other senior people when they have to make that decision? 
Look, I, I think um, in the past, we'd had this inertia for decision-making. You know, someone has to physically go and ask for this money. <laughs> right, someone right. has to put their neck on the line to make that <laughs> it's decision. It's that guy, this yeah. lady, right? And, and that sort of went up the tree and went around. And then we'd go on these world tours to look at other opportunities and try and collaborate together. What we're seeing now is people get it immediately, right? So what we would talk about, you could do all the spreadsheets you wanted, all the, all the workbooks that you wanted. I can now physically say, forget that. Just come into this room, put these goggles on. This is your new facility. This is option A, come next door. Here's option B and here's option C. And here are the financials that sit behind those. Here are the risks. Um, and here is the timelines to sit there and, and they can understand it. Do you remember the, I want to get back to kind of the first question we talked yeah. about. Do you remember the first time you put on the goggles and you looked around, even if it was just like the beta version of the software you're developing and you were like, okay, this is different. Even I just got a chill thinking about it. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember that feeling? Yeah, look, I think when I first- uh, You were taking it off and going, I think we got this kind well, of thing. Well, as I say, Tom Yang came to us and said, can I have some money and some time? I want to put together something because he, he'd done a lot of design work with us and a lot of business case work. And he really said, how do I make this simpler? And Tom's an innovator of the highest order. And so he, he sat down and said, give me three months and I'll put something together. You put the goggles on and have a look at it. Right. Uh, and yeah, I do remember the first time I put them on. I was amazed. I mean, we'd, we'd played around with virtual reality, you know, falling over on the floor, thinking yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going on a roller coaster, all those sorts of things. But I was just in, he put a high bay warehouse, which is about a 30 to 40 metre high crane based warehouse, okay. and put it in scale. And I remember walking in Put it in there. scale, which means that it felt like it was the exact same size it yeah. was in real life. So you're standing there looking, looking up 40 up and, metres yeah. and, and then you could actually climb through the warehouse at 40 metres to scale. Um, it, it was amazing. Super, it would be yeah. super cool if you could simulate the, um, what's that What's that thing called? Where, you, where you're at a high level and you look down and you get a little bit nervous? Yeah. Well, no, yeah. you definitely, with that, that's vertigo feeling. Thank you, vertigo. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. But it, it, what was amazing about it was, you know, we didn't quite understand what we were trying to achieve at that point. We were saying, this is gonna be simple. What it actually turned into, not only was it a visualization tool, it was also an operational tool for safety, yeah. for speed, training, flash detection, training. training. Um, you know, how can, we, how can we take a client on a journey that normally took two to three years, we could do in 10 minutes, right? And, and that, that is the speed that we could go at. When I first started learning how to drive, right? Yeah. I was in Philadelphia. Yeah. And because my birthday's in the summer, I didn't turn 16 until July. Yeah. So all of my driving learning happened in the winter, right? in the snow. Yeah. And I just thought the first time I went up on the highway, I mean, back then there was no virtual reality, but when I look back at it, I think it would have been way safer if I wasn't actually on ice. And I think what you're suggesting is the same thing from warehousing, distribution centers, and all the other stuff that you're working on is that if you can simulate it in an environment where you can really test stuff, push things to the limit, and then make a decision, should it be like this or like that, it's way more effective. Yeah, look, we had, we bought a business back in 2020 called Exact Solutions, and our company was called TM Insight, and putting the two together became TMX, okay. TMX Global. And, and what that, that business had about 10 years or 12 years of data that they created, whether it be automation data, freight and logistics data, property data, we combined that with a lot of the data that we had. And what we said was, how can we create a competitive advantage for our clients to be able to draw upon that data, but in real time collaborate, be able to see it, be able to work through, okay, what if I change this? What is the impact that I had? 
Um, so whilst the metaverse is the thing that people are seeing, the power that sits behind it is the databases that we've created to actually generate um, quick real-time decision-making. So not only a design database, but also information database that allows us to make quick decisions and turn things around quickly. Yeah, I mean, the design in my mind, and again, tell me where I'm wrong, but the design in my mind is really just the tip of the iceberg, right? That's it. Yeah. Because even before you start using it, one, if, when you start simulating activities inside of that environment, you can gather that data as well. Yeah. How far is it? How fast are we moving? How high is that? Yeah. How heavy is that? What kind of leverage does it take to move that around all of these things? And then once you do that and gather all that data, that's part of the sales into the people that oh, are going to spend a billion dollars to build a new uh, distribution center. Absolutely. But, but I think the key part is it's a massive competitive advantage for massive. our clients, right? They, yeah. they, they can actually, they can go, what they would normally have to build a significant team and then spend four years developing, they can do it quickly um, and they can do it as a competitive edge. So for us, being a client-led business means we actually, we actually want to create a competitive edge for our clients and we want to have the best in class within our business. Do you ever think about, because you're probably not selling from CEO to CEO, right? I don't know if you are, but even, let's yeah. say you're not. Yeah. Do you ever think about what is the type of information I need to give to the potential client so that they can go up the chain yeah, absolutely. Because they need to do impressive things as well, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, our view has always been how do we collaborate and partner with our clients, not how do we become the client. Yeah, and, no. and I think, you know, yes, you normally start with an operational lens on it, so maybe a head of supply chain or right. something like that. But when we're doing the business case work, we'll sit in front of boards and, and the executive leadership team. Um, and that was the area where we fell down. Most of the supply chain people could understand what we were talking right, about. Right, right, Because they're in the weeds every day. You're trying day, to then right? go to a finance person or, or, or a uh, chief executive officer that, that traditionally came from a retail background and trying to explain this thing that used to sit out the back. Yeah. But how, but how about this, right? You're in, a, you're in a warehouse. There's droppages, there's wastage, there's all this stuff, right? And if you can explain to them using data, yeah. you can actually visualize that data as well. Uh, absolutely. That you can you can um, minimize wastage. Because there are plenty of situations, right, where a big business will say, okay, we're happy to take on a new client. This client should have 25% margins. If it's a billion dollar business, we make $250 million. Yeah. Whatever it is. And at the end of the year, they're like, it was 170. Yeah. What happened to the other 80? But if you're simulating all this stuff and gathering all this data inside the metaverse, you can actually look in little bits and places along the value chain and find out you fell down here. Yeah. Because I presume, let me just say one more thing. Yeah. I'm presuming that you don't build and walk away. No, no, no. It's an ongoing tool. Right. So it's a, it's a really good point. Because when we started in that property building side of things, yeah. you know, we worked out that what we were impacting was about 30% of the supply chain cost, right? Yeah. So when we could save $1.50 on the square meterage rate, it didn't really have a massive impact on the Not total over cost. time, yeah? Yeah. And so, yeah. so when we built the business, the aim was really to go end-to-end -end and, and look at all the steps that have to happen from raw material all the way through to the shelf that now has become someone's house on, on the most part. So all those little touch points along that journey, we can now simulate that entire environment. Right. We can understand where the, where the pain points are, where the benefits are what the investment looks like versus a return, and we can actually now show it to people. Once you do this, right, let's say you go through, you, you get buy-in from a big company, they build a new distribution center or warehouse with you, you're not done. No. So is there a services business on top of that that then says, from now on, we will help you gather all this data, accumulate all the data, build a data lake for you, and help you do continuous data? Because this is in real time. Yeah. Again, yeah. different from a digital twin, right? Yeah. 
which is just like, here's what you got. But what you're saying is, this thing is alive. It's yeah. constantly producing data and producing information for you to get better. So do you do that services as well? Yeah, yeah. so the, the, the aim of being able to put the, these tools together like the metaverse yep. means that we can collaborate in a longer term environment that actually says, we've done this big transformation, now we're gonna optimize, right? And optimizing means that business is always changing. The infrastructure is hard to change and slow to change. Right. So if I could point forward, and, and the big change is AI and predictive now, right? So, so you've got these big data sets. All these clients have got significant data. So the question is, how can I use that data and predict forward rather than looking backwards? And when we've built in the past networks or what that supply chain should look like, we've taken a guess based on growth. We've taken a guess on... Right. on where you're not, they're you're not go. guessing anymore. Though. No, no. You can actually now predict what's going to happen. Right. And I think one of the exciting bits is combining offline and online data for retailers now to understand who's buying their product, when they're buying it, when you're going to buy it, right. means that, that a lot of retailers are now switching into pushing demand at you, right? They, they're actually going to tell you what you're going to buy before you even know. So you only have to look on your on your internet and other things. They're actually pushing product at you, which from a supply chain perspective, we can then predict what's going to happen. And we can predict when the problem's going to occur, which means we can fix it before it happens. Before it happens. So I think one of the, one of the big parts to this is reactive change is the biggest issue for all clients. And, and if, the cons if the consumer changes, the ripple effect that it has all the way back to source is significant. It's massive. So if you could predict what's about to then happen. Then you have proactive change. Yeah. They, so can yeah. I ask you this too? Yeah. So if you have proactive change, yeah. you can simulate growth. Correct. Right. So if I'm doing 20 million units, let's say a yeah. year, I'm just making numbers up, right? But I'm project, projecting 40. I can just go right into the software and just go, let's ramp this thing up slowly yeah. and see where things break. Yeah. Is that true as well? Yeah, it is. And, and one thing that people don't really understand is one of the biggest constraints typically is manufacturing. So manufacturing, how do I manufacture? They're, they're designed to be lean, mean, and fast, right? right? And so when people stop buying or they buy too much, you can't buffer for that, that change, right? No. But if you could predict what's about to happen, then you can stock build, then you can think about where I have product at the right time. One of the biggest challenges for retailers at the moment, which people don't realise, the, the online boom that's happened since COVID, right. the biggest issue is having inventory in the right location at the right time. So, yeah, because yeah, everyone says one hour delivery, but it's only one hour if it's, if it's if near the inventory's you. there, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think one of the biggest issues for retailers is customer experience now. So if you sell something and then don't fulfill your promise, you lose that customer, yep. right? So the answer on a supply chain lens is just have product everywhere, right? So we just... You know what that is? That's working capital, that's costing a fortune. So if you can start to predict forward, you know, you're looking at between 10 and 20% cost of savings on the supply chain. And these are on companies that are 10 billion US dollar right. a year turnover And again, that plus. gets us back to the conversation we were having before, where if you're expecting a 25% margin yeah. and you're only getting an 18% margin, that's 7%. I mean, first, frankly, the 1% is huge. Yeah. But that 7% is massive. Yeah. And the, if you can control that, yeah. Well, Sorry, it's a real ahead. life. So you're using technology for real life problems. Well, right? this is and, what we want to talk about. And, and I think, you know, it's not gimmicky, right? And, no, and I no, think no. that people look at a metaverse and go, wow, that's exciting. Get in there. It's purple. When they actually <laughs> stop, when they stop and think about it, go, wow, what could I actually do with do this? Here. You know, and, and we've now got clients that are turning their existing facilities into the metaverse, working out how they can optimize 
all the way through to a brand new facility, which is four years away. So you're getting that incremental benefit all the way through. Do you feel like the services side of the business is getting stickier and stickier as you go along? You said before, you don't want to be the client. Yeah. But you want to be as close to the client as you possibly can. Like you, When we talk about partnerships and collaboration, yeah. when I think about this, I think, I don't want to do something, like I don't want a one night stand. Yeah. I don't want to build your building and walk away. And, and again, I think about the house that I built in Tokyo. Yeah. It was awesome. It would have been so much better if these tools had existed. Yeah. Because I had to conceptualize, and I'm very bad at this, like, should the bathroom be there? No, it should not. And luckily we didn't put it there. But the one thing that didn't happen was that after the house was built, I mean, everybody just walked away. Yeah, right? they don't come back and check. But you're really partnering, yeah? Yeah, so look, uh, one of the things that we really changed as part of this, so having tools allows us to partner and collaborate. That's that's the key part to it. But it doesn't take away from the expertise that you need to get things going in the Absolutely. first place. And it should never take away from the fact that our job's never done. You know, and yeah. I think that's the point. The point is that I've built a new facility. In the past, people have just walked away. And people have not achieved what they said they were going to achieve because all the things you've talked about, they haven't taken. Well, they haven't tested and simulated. Yeah. Sorry, go so ahead. So there's a whole change management bit to this, which is important. But also, we want that data feedback so that when we do the next one, it's more accurate, right? So that, so what our our view on predicting forward using AI, using predict, predictive mm -hmm. analytics, we want to test that that actually happened and improve our predictive analytics for the future. So I keep trying to come up with a way to ask this question properly. Yeah. I spent a lot of time thinking about this, right? But because it's in real time, yeah. right? This is very different and things are getting super different, right? We used to do, we used to do algorithmic trading, yeah. right? So I'd like to make analogies to this because I don't think what you're doing is that much different. As things are going across the supply chain, you're monitoring them. Yeah. You can also back test it. You can yeah. future test it if the market moves in a way that's different. But you have to always be watching. That's right. And you also have to be, what's the right word? Iterating in real time. Yeah. So even when you're building, right? Yeah. You could say, oh my, we missed that. Problem. But yeah. we, it's a we. Not you missed it. Yeah. Not they missed it. We missed it because we collaborated from the start. How tricky or sophisticated and complex is that? Well, it's a real problem, right? So, so when, in the past, when we've built these facilities, as I say, it takes three to four years to build them. Yeah, yeah. We've taken assumptions. We're halfway through and right. the client goes, actually, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> I, forgot to tell you. <laughs> I forgot to tell you, we're buying a business or we're selling right. a business or we're doing something. You know, what does that actually mean? Right. Running a, a, a revised model back in the day was like, you're talking about three to six months, you're guessing, the building's going, right. you have to just take a punt, right? right. And that's, that's a pretty dangerous and expensive process that you're about to go down. But now you can literally like flip the roof off the building and just go, okay, look, let's look at what this together. What does this actually do? Yeah. Should we add this thing over here now? Because yeah. that whole process is gonna change, right? A, a, absolutely, so it's, it's within hours that you've got a decision now. Right. You've understood what the impact is, what the clashes are, where you're going. But you've also been able to say what is possible and what's not possible. Because in the past, your default is we can't do it. Right, your default right? Because is Because no. you don't have time to right. do it. Now you can do it. Now, the frustrating bit for a lot of, the, the problem is some of the other elements like developers and suppliers of product, they're probably not as nimble as some of those things. So to make some of those changes. So the question I've got is how do you collaborate in one tool together? Right. So you've got people based in Austria that are providing automation. You've got people based in China that are bringing in technology. How do they collaborate in one space? Do you feel you're at a technological tipping point where there's going to be a secular change in the supply chain industry where the traditionalists are going to slowly but surely get replaced by the 
I don't want to say just technologists, but so that their mindset will change as well. And they'll just think we're 30% done, but I mean, we could change the rest of the 70% of this to make the entire thing completely different than what we thought of. So since we started in 2010 to where we are today. Go ahead. You know, at the start, it was rusted on, order, <laughs> you know, operational yeah. people. That Which is fair, them. right? Because that's what they knew. Like, that's they knew what they it knew. super well. But I've done this for 20 years. Don't tell me how to do right, anything. Right, right. We, in the last three, three to four years, if we turn up to a meeting with the rusted on operational people, they say, where's the smart data people? Yeah, right? yeah. Where are they? Right. You know, I, I'm employing you to be the smarter people in the room. And so the age group, the, the types of people that we're bringing into the business, but you still have to combine it with operational Absolutely. experience. So Absolutely. it's that blend of what's happening, but it's definitely shifting, right? So data is playing a huge part. The, the smart next generation coming through are frightening in terms of the, how they think about things. Um, and it's exciting. I've never been more excited in my life. I was just yeah. about to say that. I yeah. feel like it's got to be the most exciting time to be in this business. Yeah. Because everything's changing and anything is possible, yeah? Well, we, we, we came from a supply chain that was a thing out the back that no one talked about. Yeah, Everything nobody wanted to know about it. was a store, right? Yeah. And where you went into and the experience that you had. What we actually saw was this whole COVID brought a, a light on it, but it had been moving for a period of time. Right. And now, you know, I talk about, we were in supply chain before it was sexy. Now everyone wants to talk about right. it. We'll, we'll have our time in the sun and then we'll go back to something else. But e-com, you know, consumer change, omni-channel execution, how I get product, you know what? All, all the consumer wants is, I want the product when I want it, how I want it. At the right price. At the right price, right. right? And so how do I create that experience for people? You can only do it with a strong, a strong and nimble supply chain. Does Australia benefit from the fact that it's so far away physically from everything else? And so the necessity to build tools that allow for virtual collaboration are just way more necessary they would, than they would be. Even in the US, we're like, yeah. just going from New York to Tennessee, it's just not that far away and you can yeah. drive there. Yeah, look, I think we were we were shocked at the start of our experience. We would go overseas and look at networks and ideas and thoughts from the US, from Europe and right. from Asia, right? Yeah. In the last um, in the last couple of years, you know, we've picked up work in the UK, we've picked up work in the US, we've picked up work in Asia because of that complexity of supply chain in those big distance, right. small population, yeah. you know, cost of labor. So all the things we've had to innovate now for five years hard within that market, maybe longer. Um, the rest of the world now, because of the consumer change, is now having to do the same. So where labor was cost effective, right. you just throw more people at the problem. They're not available. They're, they're not as cost effective as they were. And now you've got a consumer that wants it any time of the day when they want it. So automation and digitization is, is having a huge play in prioritizing when you when you create an order, what you do, how you fulfill it. So um, it's sequencing properly to be able to get product to you when you want it and how you want it, or to be able to communicate with you that that can't happen and it's tomorrow. Before I let you go, yeah. what does growth look like to you? Yeah, well, it's pretty scary. Um, I'll, say, I'll say that. So it's scary in a good way, in an exciting way, and good for the team. So eight out of our first 10 people that joined the business into are still here right. uh, within the business. And so... Back in 2010. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So for us, you know, it's a legacy piece for us now. We want to continue to grow and develop this business. Right. Um, we want to continue to really go towards that digital solution component of, of the business because we see that as a point of difference. 
You know, growth for us, I, we've got 30 million people in Australia and New Zealand and, and produces about 90% of our revenue at the moment, right? So in Southeast Asia, there's 660 million outside of China and India. You add 2.5, 2.6 billion people with those two. Um, you, you look at Europe, you look at the US and you go, this is like the scalability of this business is, is significant. It yeah. is significant. And now that it's a tech business, yeah, that's it's right. even more significant. Yeah. Um, I think one thing to note, though, is Asia plays a huge part in that. Well, like central, have, you seen, have you seen that, um, that, that map yeah. where there's a little circle on it that says there are more people inside this circle than outside this that's circle? That's right. Right? So that's what you're growing but it's into. A, it's, a, it's a young tech, you know, smarts that yeah. are here that we don't have in other parts of the world. No. You know, this is going to generate that change for the rest of the world. Is going right. to come from here. I mean, the median age in Asia, again, yeah. outside of China, yeah. is way lower than it is in the US, in North America, and in Europe. Yeah. We haven't spent a moment talking about Africa, where the median age is 15.4, yeah. and another 1.2 or 1.4 billion people. Yeah, it's frightening, and it's, it's exciting <laughs> at the same time. And, it's frightening and exciting uh, at the and same I think, time. And I think, you know, for us, it'd be lovely to sit back down in a few years Let's and say, do it. this is what happened, right? So, Let's do it. Yeah. Actually, one more thing before I let you go. Yeah. As you grow, how do you maintain culture? You said eight of the first 10 people that you hired are still there. They're culture ambassadors. Yes. But it's so hard to maintain that culture as you grow, but it's also really necessary. Yeah, look, and I, and I think we've, we grew so quickly right. post-COVID, 360% in the last two years. Good right. So to put it, <laughs> but, but that was a massive culture problem sure. for us, right? And so having the non-negotiable things as a business, that client first, right? That is, that is non-negotiable. Always innovate, always be ahead of the curve, always have good ideas, right? And, and let's not have structure get in the way of growth, right? right. So, so how do we get... It's a great phrase, by the way. Yeah, how do yeah. we get people that, that know that they're not gonna get in trouble for trying to grow the business, yeah. right? And, and, and if they put the client at the center, that's how we're gonna grow. So right. um, yeah, culturally, I think, get rid of toxicity immediately. Like we've <laughs> right. had, we had it. And, Sorry, and you're out. But, yeah, it's but not, you have to. Yeah, it's, you, um, have to. It, you know, it's it's the FIFO. It, it's fit in or off, right? So like I think, I like and, and that's the harsh reality because that's what our clients want. Right. They don't want bureaucracy. They don't no. want politics. They want to get stuff done. They want to get stuff done right. and they want us to do it, right? And yeah. so I think, and always be learning, innovating, thinking. And if you think and, and never look in the mirror and start admiring yourself. And I think that's <laughs> that's a real humble, um, uh, you know, quality that the business has. You know, we know we're, we're growing and we're a massive point of difference business. Right. But we're never satisfied, ever. You know, and I think ultimately we always want to keep improving. That's what our clients want. That's the best way to Yeah. Travis Erridge, a co-founder and the CEO of TMX Global. Thank you so much for doing that. Thanks for having me.